Episode 236, everybody. We're experimenting here a little bit. More details to come, but hang with me. Give me your feedback. Let me know what you think. Let's hit it. And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is The Drop Set. With your host, Darren Starr. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to The Drop Set. This is episode 236. I am Darren Starr, trainer, coach, contest prep coach, body transformation coach, all of those things. We are trying something a little different this time around here. Uh, If you've been watching on YouTube, thank you. This will be a little bit different than what you have uh, seen in the past. And if you're listening to this audio-only version of the podcast available on all streaming platforms, well, hey, you've probably been here for a little while. Like I said, this is episode 236. I did not fall off the turnip truck yesterday. I kind of know what I'm doing a little bit, uh, but this format is entirely different. So this is going to be a solo show that I'm going to try and put together with a little bit of production, incorporate a little bit of video into it as well. You can see my face. If you are on YouTube, I apologize for that. I am fresh out of a nap. So, um, you know, looking very put together, I'm sure. Uh, and for the audio only version, um, you know, I hope this translates well and I hope that uh, it doesn't get lost in, lost in translation. I'm experimenting here. We're just going to try some stuff throw it at the wall and see what sticks. So I have an agenda set for the episode here, which I will put on screen with a magical click thusly. There we go. Look at that. Now, if you are on the audio only version, you cannot see this. So the YouTube audience here gets a preview of what's coming. So um, if I'm really with it in post-production and editing, I might put in chapters. So if there's something that you know you want to see, you can skip ahead to it here. Um, You know, it's early days, so it's not like I've got timestamps put on this thing or anything like that. I don't know. You know, we'll see what happens here. But there's some stuff I want to talk about, um, and I want to get back into doing some solo episodes. I love doing the interviews um, as well, but sometimes I just have some things that I want to go over, and uh, we can incorporate some more stuff beyond that as well. So as you can see here with the uh, agenda that I have set here, there's five things that I want to go over. How long is this going to take? I don't know. You know, the first topic is going to be talking about sportsmanship at shows. I might talk about that for 45 seconds. I might talk about that for 45 minutes. We will see how it goes. Uh, if you're watching or listening to this, you know how long the total episode is. So you probably got some idea. Hopefully it's not 45 minutes. I've got other stuff to do today. I don't have that kind of time. I wish I could. I wish I had that kind of time. I don't, sadly. Um, I have been I've been planning this episode for about ten days, actually. Is that how much planning actually goes into the process of creating this episode and like coming up with this list of topics and like you know really fine tuning the points that I want to say? No. Uh, I it took ten days to come up with these five things, basically, and then well, it took it took you know. Let's be realistic. It took about 10 minutes to come up with these five things and the remaining 10 days to find time on my calendar to record it and uh, figure out some technical shit with OBS Studio trying to make it work here. Um, So you can see, like, I got the microphone up here, camera here. I went through a couple of different microphone setups to find one that actually worked correctly. So hopefully this sounds okay. Hopefully it looks okay. Welcome to the new studio setup, by the way. I'm excited about this. So um, without further ado, now that we're already, what, like 45 minutes into this episode, probably three minutes and 27 seconds, according to OBS here. So let's dive into it and talk a little bit about sportsmanship at shows. So I see this every time somebody's competing, you look in social media and you'll find people who come in overconfident at shows. Now I say overconfident, maybe it's earned, maybe it's not. But the thing is like, whether it is or not, the, the correct way to go about it. And I hate to, I hate to be the boomer here and say like, this is how you need to do things back in my day, but you shut up and act like you've been there before. Right. And get the people around you. I know you can't control the other people in your circle, but when you've got people in your circle who are posting online on your behalf and showing your stage pictures and saying, absolutely crushed it, you know, blah, 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 um, easy win, that kind of stuff. I'm like, that's kind of ugly. And it's really demeaning and belittling to the other people on that stage 
who put in a lot of fucking effort to be there too. And maybe it is an easy win, but maybe you don't need to say that at the same time. Maybe you can just be chill. And also, like, I've seen it happen before where somebody says, easy win, and then they get second. So just because you end up in the middle doesn't mean you're going to win. That's why they do a lot of call-outs with four and six people also, because <laughs> nobody's in the middle, and then you're like, I don't know. So um, the point being, like, be good about it. You know, respect the effort that other people put in throughout their prep. You don't know them. Pretend like you do. Pretend like you do. If your friend, if your loved one was up there and was in a second call out or looks like they're going to be positioned for third or fourth or something like that, you wouldn't want the people who look like they're going to be placing first or second to be trashing you passively. They're not calling you out by name, but they're saying nobody else showed up to challenge this person. It's just not a good look. It's not a good look. So, and you see that all the time and people just going on and on and about like, you know, oh, people say some ugly shit. I've, I've seen some things where people will post about like, you know, getting first call outs in, in the center and how it was a kill shot to everybody else on stage. I'm like, that is ugly. That is some ugly shit. So act like you've been there before, please. Okay. I'll get off my soapbox now. That was uh, that was Uncle Darren bitches about the kids on his lawn. That was that segment of the podcast here. So um, we can move on from that. And let's talk about some problems that need to get fixed here. So item number two on the agenda here uh, is live stream optimized shows. And my subheading on that is the way to fix all this crap. So what do I mean by that? All, all this crap. Um, if you have... Uh, been listening to this podcast for long. This would be the audio only version. I probably haven't gone on too much at length. I think in a couple of the interviews I've touched on it, actually a couple of the more recent ones, like the formatting of bodybuilding shows is just incredibly stupid. It's just so dumb. It's just absolutely nonsensical. And it was almost like it was formulated to make the experience of a show as miserable as possible for everybody involved. And I'm talking specifically about the prejudging finals format of the show and just how inconvenient it is for everyone. Not to mention the meetings for the athletes. And if you have a meeting before prejudging and before finals, like what? a royal pain in the ass. You know, I had a guy who did a men's bodybuilding show, Tobin, if you're listening, hey, congrats, by the way. Um, he had a good showing uh, up in Idaho a couple weeks back. Um, shockingly competitive show, actually, for, for open men's bodybuilding in, uh, in, in Idaho. But sure enough, there were some big competitive classes up there. Um, but they had a meeting in the morning, pre-judging, go away, meeting in the evening before finals and then go away again, bodybuilding's last. So, you know, it ended up being like he had the meeting that he had to be there for. And then it was like another three, four hours before finals. It's like, what a nightmare of a show. And that's, you know, prejudging. He was thankfully done with prejudging fairly early. I think it, I want to say it started at, well, I'm just going to say it started at nine. It was either nine or 10. I can't keep track. It was two weeks ago. Honestly, what time did I get to the gym this morning? I don't know. You're talking about a show two weeks ago? Give me a fucking break. Like, I can remember that. Um, but it, let's say it started at 9. Uh, open men were up first, as they usually are, very early. And so he was off stage and done by, like, 9.45. And then he had all day to kill. 5 p.m. is when the meeting before finals was, I think. Again, that's assuming finals were at 6, give or take an hour on that. Um, and it's just, uh, hold on. I need to adjust my camera here. I just noticed that way. Oh, I got to get the logo in too. I got to reposition myself here. There we go. Um, and it's just, it's a nightmare, right? It's a nightmare. So why do they do this? Well, promoters do this specifically um, because it's the easiest way to sell two tickets. You can sell a ticket for pre-judging. You can sell a ticket for finals. Offset, I mean, putting on a show is a big expense. I don't fault the promoters for trying to make a buck. Some of the ticket prices are kind of getting up there a little bit. That's a conversation for another day, um, especially for pro shows. For the Olympia, I don't even remember what they are, but I know a couple years ago there was a big stink made about just how expensive like the all-access ticket was. It was ridiculous. I don't know. I'm not going to Orlando. I don't, I don't know. By the way, the Olympia is this weekend. Um, I'm recording this on Tuesday, Halloween day. You like my costume? I am dressed up as uh, an online prep coach. This is what we look like in our natural habitat. Habitat? Habitat. 
Um, so uh, when this goes live, when this actually gets posted, I have no idea. It depends on how, how bogged down I get in editing. So the goal is to get through this without saying anything that's going to get me canceled. So then I don't have to go back and do a lot of editing. So fingers crossed, if I can keep the old mouth out of trouble, we'll be in good shape. Um, I don't fault promoters for trying to make a buck. That's fine. That's what they're supposed to do. They put on an event where um, all of us get the opportunity to go show off our hard work on stage. That's great. They should make a buck. Absolutely. But can they get theirs and can we get ours, the experience of going on stage and having the gratification and the experience of that without it being such a fucking nightmare logistically? Like the prejudging, the all day waiting around, doing it all again for finals. Like uh, I've talked to, to some people who genuinely like that. And first of all, I think they're psychotic, just to be clear. I think there's a level of psychosis involved in all bodybuilders. I think that's a necessary personality trait on some level to want to do this at all. Um, but some people who are like, oh, I like that. And it's just because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some words in their mouth. It's just because they haven't done it any other way. And so it's just what they, what they think of as show day. And I think if you sit anybody down and really make them think about what's involved in show day and what a massive pain in the ass it is. You know, touch-ups, you know, women, you've got to get touch-ups for, for tan and makeup, get your hair touched up again. It's like, oh, my God, you know. All of this and just the waiting, the extra meetings, going through routines and all this. Um, and let's talk about the audience experience as well. I think, you know, anybody who's competed has probably experienced this where you have to go and explain exactly what's happening and what isn't happening and why or why not it isn't happening. So you have friends and family come for prejudging. You're backstage. You can't talk to them. They're in the audience. They're like, okay. I have no idea what I'm watching here, what's happening, what's going on. You know, the they're not really making too many announcements. They're talking about what class comes up, up on stage. They're calling out poses. They're having people shift around. They're having them go through poses again. Why are they doing that? Why are they moving people around, says your mom out in the audience. And then those people go away, and then they bring on a whole new group of people. What happened with those first group of people? You know, did they get, did they get fired? Did they all lose? What happened? You know, it, if you haven't gone through this before a bunch— it makes no fucking sense at all what's happening. It's like, wait, okay, well, there's my son. He's up on stage right now. Okay, okay, all right. He's doing his poses. He's moving around. Okay, all right, okay, yeah, yeah. He looks good, I guess. He's not wearing enough clothes. He should probably put on, put on some more clothes. He's, he's gotta be, is he cold up there? It's got to be cold up there, right? I'm just thinking, like, what would be going through my mom's head, probably. And then... Okay, he's off stage. Okay, okay. Now what? Oh, he's coming back on. Nope. No, these are new. These are new people here. This is a whole different group of people. What? What? Ten minutes go by. Son walks out into the audience. What are you doing here? I thought you were backstage. Aren't you? Did you win? Did you lose? What happened? Oh, we don't know. You know they don't. They don't tell us. You know we can kind of make some guesses as to what happened, but we don't know. So now we all go away. I'm gonna go take a nap. And eat some more chicken and rice. You guys go have a good time. And then we'll all come back here um, this evening, five or six, and we'll see what happened. And then I'll do my routine then, too. How is that anything other than a massively shitty experience for an audience member? Like, it is terrible. It is terrible. And so kind of bringing it around full circle to what I am proposing as the fix here. If you are... Watching the show, if you purchase a show on a live stream, I've done this a couple times. Like, you know, I've, I've purchased live streams to like, you know, watch my coaches compete, you know, if they're doing pro shows or something like that, they're not close to me. So I can, but I'm like, Hey, cool. I want to see, I want to watch prejudging or whatever. So I buy the live stream package and it's usually like, what is it? Like 30, 35 bucks, something like that for a typical pro show, something around that, that range. Um, and, of course, this allows the promoter to cast a much wider net as far as potential people that could be viewers of a show. Uh, but, again, it's like, okay, I'm going to watch prejudging. Am I going to stick around all day and wait for finals, set an appointment? It's like, no, I didn't, I didn't invest the time to go to this show. Like, I'm going to sit. I'm going to watch dinner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat dinner at 7 tonight. I'm not going to watch finals for this show. Like, you know. Some people may, you know, if you are, if you're more into bodybuilding than I am, I, you know, here's the thing, like I work it, 
I live it. I breathe it. I don't follow it on my, on my weekends unless I have a client competing or unless I'm competing for whatever reason. More on that later, maybe. Um, but like a time investment to like sit down and watch prejudging, like I'll do that because I'm often on the computer in the morning. I can keep it up over here while I'm doing some work and emailing clients, et cetera. That's convenient. And then I go about my day. Like I'm going to the gym. I have, um, I always have a long list of projects to work through. There's other stuff like finals coming around. Like I'm taking a shower and a nap. Like I don't have time for that. Like it's just awful. And you have to set a timer like, okay, finals are going to start at seven. Okay. But they start at seven, maybe if they're on time. And then what's the order of events? When does this shit happen? When does it all go down? Are they doing the same order as before? How long are the routines? How many people are competing? You don't know. Like you sit down. Okay. Finals start at seven. It might be eight 30 before the one person that you want to watch is up on stage. So what I'm proposing here is that we reorganize and restructure everything about how a competition is put together based on the live stream experience. Because promoters, I'm giving you a cheat sheet here, by the way. NPC, listen up. This is your path to success here. Selling live streams is, as I said, a way to cast a much wider net and catch a much larger audience rather than saying, hey, we're doing the Knox Classic in Knoxville, Tennessee. If you're in Knoxville, come watch. Cool. I do that show. Are my parents going to fly in from Oregon to watch that show? Is my family going to come? No. Lordy. Might they spend $30 on a live stream? They might. Absolutely. If you can make it a good experience, the way the show is set up right now, it is impossible for it to be a good experience. Like they could watch it. They could see me, but it's going to suck ass for them just because the formatting of the show is so poorly designed. It's actually designed to repel audience viewing, but you want to reformat a show specifically for the live stream. Because if it's good for the live stream, it's going to be good for the in-person audience as well. It's going to be a much better experience for the people who are in the auditorium, in the theater, watching the show live. So what you'd want to do would be something a little more akin to like what I experienced at the Lee Haney Games in 21 when I did that show. So it is possible. There are some NPC shows that do this where they had all the men go on it. I think it was 9 o'clock is when we started. Um... They did prejudging, they did an intermission, then we did finals with the routines, and then we GTFO'd, we got the fuck out of there. And then the women started at two. So at that time, you have a pretty good idea of when you can expect somebody to be up on stage. Still, not great, not great. Um, better, but not great. That's a more common format that you'll see, um, like a lot of OCB shows will follow that format as well. Something that I think would be better still, would be, okay, here's our order of events. And it has to be a little touch and go, and the promoter has to be able to kind of adjust things on the fly a little bit based on registration for the show, like how many people are in a show, etc. So you give yourself a certain amount of time for men's bodybuilding. You give yourself a certain amount of time for women's figure. You give yourself a certain amount of time for, let's say, women's bodybuilding, fitness, and women's physique all lumped together because usually most shows are not going to have a lot of those competitors, but you've got to have a time block set for them. Maybe in a lot of shows you put wellness in there also because, you know, that can be like, you know, the random women's block because those four categories usually don't have too many competitors in them. So if we're setting aside like hour long blocks, something like that, um, you know, you don't want to set aside an hour for women's physique necessarily because it's not going to take an hour for most shows. Um, clearly I'm talking about like local and regional shows. Once you get to national level shows, once you get to the pro level, everything's a little bit different. Um, but there are more local and regional shows than there are anything else. So this can be the proving grounds where we can try this stuff out and then if it's successful, refine it until it is successful and then move it onto a bigger stage for all shows. Um, but you have a time slot for open bodybuilding, time slot for men's physique, time slot for classic physique. Depending on how many competitors are in there, like you know roughly how long it takes to get through prejudging for a class. You know how long it takes to get through routines for, let's say, 22 competitors if there's 22 total distinct competitors in um, classic physique. That's fine. So you, you can make some reasonable estimates about when certain categories will be on stage. So prejudging starts at nine. Awesome. Except it's not prejudging. It's just the show starts at nine and it starts with open men's bodybuilding and that's going to run until 1030. 
and then 10.30 rolls around, hey, now it's time for women's figure. We're allotting 45 minutes for that. That'll take us up to 10.15. And what we're doing there, like open men's bodybuilding, we're doing pre-judging, routines, finals, get out of the building. You're done. Open men's bodybuilding, by the time, what I say, 10 30, 10, 15, whatever, you're done. Your show's over. Goodbye. You got your trophies. You got your hardware. You're out of here. Go. And you want to treat this much more like they treat finals right now with a much bigger production and much bigger spectacle. Um, we could also eliminate prejudging entirely, like have people come out on stage, do the whole prejudging thing, do their routines, and then we skip the the lineups again we've already done that we've already seen those so um you could also like you know invite everybody out have them do their routines first this is more like a pro show format um where they do a modified um shorter routine um but have everybody come out do their routine so you get a chance to like be introduced to everyone and then you see the lineup in the class boom quarter turns quarter turns quarter turns trophies right then how cool would that be I mean, I think that's the way it's got to be, realistically. And then, you know, you can afford time for every category to have their individual walk that can be a little bit more, or their individual routine that could be a little bit more elaborate. Like you go through for figure, if you've got a show that has, let's say, 10 or 11 figure competitors, you know, they don't have to be confined to a 20-second routine. Like give them 45 seconds. Um, you know, I'd also love to see figure generally just have their posing opened up a little bit more to where it's more than just a model pose, a front back, you know, it's like, let them hit a flex here and there. There's nothing wrong with that. Treat it more like a, you know, like a NABA figure setup where, you know, they can hit a double bicep shot or something like that. That's just generally for figure. I think they should do that anyway. Um, but then like, you know, men's physique is scheduled for noon. You have everybody come on and do their 30 to 45 second routine. Great. Depending on the number of people in a category, you might want like, oh God, we've got 60 men's physique guys in this show. Okay, cool. 20 second routines. Cool. That's fine. You know, you can play it by ear a little bit, trim people. I mean, for men's physique, they don't let you bring your own music. You just go do it to house music. So you can just like cut everybody off a little bit faster, move the show along a little quicker. So you have, you know, men's physique open class A. There's seven guys in there. Here they are. Here is Frank. Cool. Hey, Frank. Frank is from Wichita, Kansas, blah, blah, blah. He has two corgis and he likes to play the accordion. Cool. Thanks, Frank. And here's Joey. Joey is from... Uh, Topeka, Kansas. This is a show in the Midwest, just so you know. He's from Topeka, Kansas. Cool. Um, Joey's a loner, um, and uh, Joey's friends and family are a little bit worried about him. All right, thanks, Joey. Have a good time. Don't look at me like that, buddy. All right, and here is Bobby. And Bobby, you know, so everybody, you know, we don't have to do the little bio thing. Some shows do that. I don't know. It's, some organizations do that. Some natural shows do that where they like announce the person's coach on stage, whatever. I don't know. Um, so you have the people do their little individual walks for 20 seconds, and then you're like, all right, and here's your men's physique open class A. Everybody comes out for their curtain call and front pose. Cool. Face the back of the stage. All right, move these people around. This is where the judging happens. All right, and then competitors back of the stage. This is where they sweat buckets for a little bit. The judges are doing their score sheets. Everybody goes to the head judge. Ideally, this would all be done on an app that could be designed. Um, Muscleware, if you're listening, get that judging app going if you're not already working on it. Um, and then the judge gets the scores tabulated, looks at it, and then psh, here they go. He MC, who's up there the whole time, and then he announces the winners, and they bring out the stage. Da, 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 done. Cool. All right. Men's physique, open class A. Goodbye. You're done. Can we do this, please? Can we, can we please do this? So if I was competing, I could send a link to my family that would be like, hey, and of course, the other thing here is all shows have to have a live stream. You've already got a photographer there. The photographer can handle the video aspect of this as well. It's very easy to set up a live stream, sell tickets through, you know, uh, what is it, Bright Events or whatever. You know, any number of, of um, services are around that can help you do that and facilitate that. Um, so you sell tickets. People have codes. They log in. They watch the thing. And you say, hey, um, here's a t ticket to the live stream if you want to watch it. Um, my category is starting at 10. I won't necessarily be on stage right at 10, but the category I'm competing with will be, and I'm, I'll be done somewhere between 10 and, you know, 11.15 or something like that. That's a reasonable ask that makes a lot of sense, and mom and dad can wrap their heads around that, 
your friends can wrap their heads around that. So if people are busy, they can't come to the show and, and support you in person. They live two hours away, whatever. They can still watch. They can still follow along. Promoters can sell more tickets. This is the solution. So there you go. I just saved bodybuilding, and I'm going to take a quick drink. NPC, checks in the mail, right? I take a small finder's fee for this idea. That's it. That's it. But this is what you need to do. I just laid it all out for you. So we're 24 minutes into the first episode of the podcast in this format, and I have fixed competitive bodybuilding. I feel pretty proud of myself. Let's move on. Number three, <laughs> let's shift gears and talk about protein distribution. Um, by the way, linking these two things together, I don't like going to shows in person. Not my favorite experience. I don't really like the crowds. You know, longtime listeners of this podcast know that I'm a hardcore introvert slash hermit. Um, so this is like the ideal form of interaction that I have where I am talking to a camera and uh, I don't actually have to hold a conversation with anybody. Just talking to myself. It's the way to do it. Um, going to a show, being around a crowd of people. A crowd of bodybuilders who, when you get them all in the same space, I'm like, you kind of realize, like, man, just generally speaking, when you put them in big numbers, I don't like these people. Mm. Like, in small doses, I can handle them. That's okay. But otherwise, it's uh, a little much. The other thing that really gets to me is the idea of being in an enclosed space, like a theater or an auditorium, with 300 other people all following high-protein diets. Just think about that. I think about that every time I walk into a show in person, which is why I don't do it a lot. So let's talk protein distribution. Optimal protein distribution. Let's say, first thing you want to do, and I, I wanted to talk about this because it's something that clients really struggle with, um, and I give them all the guidance in the world if they're trying to follow a macro-based plan and build their own diet based off of it, and I always have them send it to me as an audit after they put it together, you know, because I'll write meal plans for people. A lot of people want to follow a macro-based plan. I'd say it's about 50-50 among my clients, and um, my take on that is always whatever's going to work best is what we're going to do. So if you want to follow a meal plan, if you don't want to worry about macros and whatever I tell you to eat, you're going to do it, and we can be successful with that. Awesome. And if you're like, hey, this isn't really working, can we change this meal? Yeah, no problem. Um, with macros, um, the biggest problem that I have um, that I find with clients is um, they just don't consistently eat the same stuff enough. Like they're too flexible with it so that every day is wildly different and there's a big margin of error on some of the numbers. And like for contest prep, it just doesn't work well. It doesn't work as well as just being radically consistent with stuff. And the other thing that I find that people do, even though it's it's listed in the the fairly short list of guidelines that I give them is a note about protein distribution. And when I'm doing a macro audit for a client, this is the thing that I'm always correcting universally almost every time. So the rule that I give people after, so I, I give them their numbers. Here's your protein, carb, and fat target. It's either a number for all days. Um, usually I don't start clients off carb cycling right away because usually we don't need it. Depends on what the goal is and what the time frame is, but usually we don't need to carb cycle right away. Um, so it's usually the same set of numbers. So build one meal plan around this, send it to me, let's go. And the guidance I give them is take the protein number. So let's pretend it's somebody like me, six foot, 240 pounds. Your protein target, let's just say is going to be 265. So figure out how many meals you're going to eat. For me, five meals. I like five. Um, and, uh, Take your total protein target, 265, divide that by five. That's how many grams of protein you should be searching for on average per meal. So that is, hold on, 53. Just did that in my head. I got to check. Hold on. Um, oh, <laughs> took away my full screen thing there. You can see behind the scenes here, 265 divided by five, 53. Look at that. Hot damn. I'm so good. Um, so, uh, I'm going to build five meals and I'm going to be searching for around 53 grams of protein per meal. Um, the one, one thing that people think is, well, he said meals, he doesn't mean snacks. No, I mean, anytime you open your mouth and put food in it, we're going to call it a meal. So that includes snacks. So like your, your meal that you've put together, that's an apple and a couple of rice cakes. No, there's no protein source in that. So, um, what we're looking for here is consistent 
average sized protein boluses coming in throughout the day. So we optimize your rate of muscle protein synthesis. We don't overload the body with too much protein at once, at which point it doesn't really know what to do with that. It just turns into extra calories. It might as well be something else. Um, and we're trying to get somewhere in that one to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight range. That's, you know, clinically demonstrated to be optimal for maximizing muscle protein synthesis and hypertrophy gains, muscle growth, etc. Um, the other thing is when it's kind of steady and evenly distributed throughout the day, you put the body in a state of positive nitrogen balance, which promotes anabolism, all good stuff. So the way to do it is figure out your average, you know, your, your gram target on average per meal that you want to aim for. And then you've got five meals, pick your five protein sources. You can double up if you want to like, Oh, chicken, I'm going to do two chicken meals. Cool. Not for me. You know, I like mixing it up. I like doing five different protein sources because I'm a little bit of a wild card, I guess you might say. Um, but figure out what those are going to be. Figure out what the correct portion size is. And if you're targeting 53 grams per meal, I might start with your protein source and try and get a, a portion there that's somewhere between like 43 to 46 grams of protein from that source knowing that you're going to have trace protein from other sources come in and pick up some of the slack. So if you're building this in chronometer or my fitness pal, you might say like, okay, seven, uh, seven ounces of, uh, of chicken here. That's going to give me 49 grams. What if I do six? That's 42. Let's start with six. Okay. Let's start with six ounces cooked chicken for meal two. And then for meal three, I'm going to do a 93, seven ground Turkey. Okay. I'm going to do seven ounces there. That'll get me around my 41, 42, 43 range. Cool. You build all those meals and then you're like, okay, cool. Well, my target's 265. Now I'm at 230. Okay. Now add in your carbs, add in your fats. You're going to get some trace protein that comes in there. Now you might find yourself up to 250, 255. Cool. Now look at your distribution per meal. Now you might find that some of them are a little low. You might have something at 39. You might have something at 56 or something like that. The 56 is probably okay. You're a little short. So take that 39 and like, let's add an ounce of something in there to kind of beef that up. No pun intended, just a little bit until you get to that 265 number. So know what your total target is, divide it by the number of meals. And I would say, you know, realistically for most people, five meals is kind of the sweet spot. If I was going to do four meals, for example, at 265, that's going to put me close to 70 grams of protein per meal, which is probably overshooting by just a little bit how much my body can really take and process and be and utilize effectively all at once. So five meals is really the sweet spot. And I think it is going to be that way for most people if you want to play the optimal game. We'll have a more talk about that later on in future episodes about chasing what's optimal versus chasing what's practical. Um, but that's how I do it. And then, so you figure out your, what your average is 53 grams. You put together your meals with your protein sources falling just a little bit short of that, knowing that your trace macros, your trace protein from carbon fat sources will bump that up a little bit. And then you tweak the taste to kind of help even things out just a little bit. So, uh, optimal protein distribution. There you go. So now, um, we're going to do this. Um, I am going to, how can I do this here? Um, I think I'm going to do this. All right. There we go. And then if I kind of sit over here, maybe you can still see me. Yeah. Okay. All right. That works. Um, we're going to do a video breakdown. So this is a client of mine, Madison, who just started up. I just did her first check-in today, actually. Um, and yesterday she sent me in a squat video and she mentioned before we even started, she's like, I have some issues with squats. They just, they aren't comfortable. They just don't feel right. So we're going to need to look at those. And sure enough, um, when she did her first leg workout that had a squat in it, she sent a video and, uh, with her permission, um, I'm going to play that for you here and we're going to watch it and break it down. And, uh, I already gave her some feedback on this, so this is not new to me, but we can kind of see, um, see what we saw there. So here it is. Let's check this out. And I will mute this bad boy here. So here is Madison going to town. Setup looks pretty good. It's not a bad squat. Like if I saw this in the gym, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, I wouldn't see it as being a problem. Like I'm not going to go up and, and talk to a stranger and be like, hey, you need to fix your squat form. Let me mansplain this to you. Um, it, I don't see anything that's 
terribly wrong with this. The big thing for me is how she said it's not comfortable and it doesn't feel good for her. So um, at that point, then we start to look at this a little bit more closely. And there's one thing that she's doing here. See if you can figure out what it is. It's more evident in the early reps. It's going to start over here and wrap around. Here's the first rep coming up. So feet in place. I always am a big fan of making sure that you're comfortable with your foot positioning before you go. Here's first rep. So that second rep, it's a little bit more evidence. There's a cue that's coming in. Notice how the focus on the camera shifts right there and right there a little bit. Um, that focus shift is because that plate on the barbell is coming into view and it's, it's changing the depth of field of the camera a little bit. Not the depth of field, but just the focal length of the camera a little bit or focal range. Um, and it's because it's coming in so sharply. Um, the camera thinks like, oh, I need to focus on this. And uh, if it was coming in more slowly, you can kind of fool the autofocus on a camera lens. And so that's really what we want to do here. So what we're seeing is right here, she goes down. A lot of stretch reflex happening there. You go down to the bottom, you kind of bounce out of the bottom. And you can see if I pause this sucker real quick and... Jeez Louise, I think I've never used a computer before. I'm gonna go playback, we're gonna slow this thing down. So here we go, check this. So she's rebounding out of the bottom here and the stretch reflex is really happening for the knees more than the hips. So you can see she's having an easier time extending the knees and then that hip extension, that hip straightening, the, the glute action here is struggling. So she's spending more time in that bent hip position. So she's, she's becoming more upright as the knees extend. You can see, let, let's catch that again one more time here. I'm gonna pause it, see if I can get it to the right time here. Right there, you can see she's coming up and her knees are extending, her hips have not started extending yet because she's relying on that stretch reflex coming out of the hole. So the knees have a little bit of a boost trying to reach back to extension. The hips don't have that, so they're trailing. So she's complaining of lower back pain when she squats, and like, this is why. So what I told her to do is take some weight off the bar, slow it down, and uh, just don't necessarily pause at the bottom, but, well, do, but pause just long enough that you come to a complete stop. And so you're not bouncing out of the bottom. You're eliminating that stretch reflex. And then you're going to force the quads to do the work rather than giving them the assist of a, a joint-based stretch reflex. And then they're going to be able to work. Your glutes are going to be able to work. And they're going to be in more of an equal strength distribution with each other. Um, the stretch reflex, it, it's basically... It's making your glutes do all of the same amount of work, but it's giving your quads a little bit of a cheat. So this is actually like lessening the work that the quads do. And the glutes are having a tough time catching up because they're having a tough time extending the hips with this load. So back off on the weight a little bit, slow it down, eliminate that stretch reflex. And uh, I think, you know, the lower back pain is going to go away. And also it's just going to be more productive for the quads long-term as well. So um, I also told her like this looks, I can't really tell. You can kind of see from right here, like that bar is pretty high up on her neck. Um, and I said she could try a low bar position there um, as well. Just drop the bar down just a little bit. Anybody who experiences lower back pain, um, it's always worth trying a low bar carry. Um, and it would just sit down like an inch and a half down on her back, just a little bit lower on the meaty part of her traps. So, and let's just take a second here. Appreciate that face. It's the face of somebody who's putting in some work. So, um, so that was uh, that. That was what I wanted to talk about there. That's our form breakdown for Madison's squat. And then we have a listener question as well. So this came from um, I know. This came from Michelle, who is a client of mine, um, and the, she submitted this October twenty fourth. So um, the way this works, by the way, is you call in my. Uh, I have a call in number set up because I'm such a dork. Um, and you can call in and leave a message. Let me make that smaller again. Um, you can call in and leave a message, and I'll put the number on screen here. Um, so you can call in, and uh, if I was really with it, I would know what that number is. It's 865-51, I don't know. I'll put it on screen. Um, and I'll put it in the episode description. So if you're listening to this <laughs> on on Spotify or whatever, it'll be in the uh, in the in the show notes there that you can get that too. So you can just call that number um, and uh, hear my voice say, "Hey, here we are. Leave a message," and uh, you can be like Michelle here and get your voice heard. And so let's see what she's got. So I downloaded the the voicemail from. Uh, 
from my Google Voice. The transcript preview was enough for me to know that it was Michelle. I didn't read it, so we're gonna hear this together for the first time. So let's uh, let's see what we got. Oh, it's muted. Hold on. <laughs> let's uh, bring this up to. Let's try 100% and hope we don't blast our eardrums out here. Hi, Darren. It is Michelle, your client, calling from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So Canuck. To be honest, I would call in with some questions, so here I am. Uh, two questions, actually. So my first question is, I'm curious on your thoughts of semaglutide and all of these new GL1 medications that are out for obesity and weight loss. And there have been some, a few bodybuilders, and some of them are from Renaissance Periodization, and they have a full podcast on that and using them during prep and post-show to help with cravings, et cetera. And so I'm super curious what your thoughts on using them are during prep and immediate post-show. It also seems like these two <coughs> medications are getting some traction, not only in obesity medicine, but even now in some addiction clinical trials. Uh, Joe Jeffrey from Physique Collective has some good thoughts on it, and I'm really curious to get your thoughts on that. The second question is more to do with hypertrophy training, and just a quick question, and um, just getting in all that volume, but when does that volume cross over into just junk volume? What does that look like? And that's all for now. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Michelle. That was good. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, let's dive in on that, shall we? So, some eglatide. Um I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Um, it's uh, you know, it's primarily a GLP-1 agonist. So the primary mechanism that it that it it works on is to uh, control your blood sugar and, and lower your A1C. Um, and the other things that it does is it can. I I, th I think some of the. I think the jury's still out as far as like what it does for cravings. Certainly, it has an appetite suppressive effect. The issue that I have with it is more often than not, it just makes people want to not eat and feel like garbage, um, which kind of sucks. You know, I, I'm not a fan of recommending many supplements at all, um, especially not like pre-workouts or thermogenic fat burners, um, just because it seems like to, to me, in my experience as a coach, and I've been doing this full time now for 13 years, this is my full-time gig for nearly a decade and a half. And it seems like as often as those things work well, there's another person out there who just says like, this thing makes me feel nauseous. I don't like it. I get jitters from this, blah, blah. So people have different levels of sensitivity. I don't like making recommendations on things that make people feel like crap. And semeglutide is one of those things that almost universally kind of makes people feel off. And that is one of the ways in which it works. Like it kind of discourages food intake just because you don't feel great. Like it kind of makes you feel a little low grade nauseous a lot. My wife has taken it before and her experience with it was such that, you know, I mean, she felt lousy enough from it. She just stopped taking it. She's like, this is, what, whatever kind of work this does is not worth this. So, um, my other take on that specific to bodybuilding is, um, we signed up for this. It's voluntary. So suck it up, <laughs> suck it up and do it. That, that kind of echoes the, the sentiments that I've heard from like John Jewett from that. I'm not sure what the Renaissance periodization guys, um, like Mike, I'm a big fan of Mike, um, uh, over there. And I, f I find myself agreeing with him on most things realistically. So, um, I don't know what his take on this is specifically. I'd be curious. Um, but, uh, my take on, on these medications and bodybuilding is kind of like, a, you know, just suck it up. Let's, let's do it on our own. Right. And also like there was a shortage of this stuff for a while because everybody was using it. And so the people who really needed it, like diabetics who are really trying to get themselves out of a medical hole and, you know, fix their blood sugar issues and insulin resistance, they couldn't access it because everybody else is trying to use it just, you know, for, you know, for weight loss, which is fine. But like, also like I've had clients who came to me and were already using it for bodybuilding purposes. And I, I don't dictate anything, but I say like, let, let's, uh, let's put a pin in that. Let's pull that out for right now. We can come back to it if we need to, but I'd like to do it without. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of coaches out there have a different approach where it's like, Hey, if it works and it can help, let's do it. 
I just like to feel good. And um, I don't know that I've ever, I've talked to plenty of people who have taken it. I don't know if I've talked to anybody who said that it didn't affect how they felt negatively in some way. And uh, my thing is like when you're in prep, you need to feel optimal. Uh, as optimal as you possibly can and to focus on performance, feeling good. So not a big fan of it for that reason. Um, that being said, I keep an open mind on everything. So I say that now, but, uh, you know, that, uh, that position is open to change in the future, kind of depending on how things shake out. So your other question, Michelle, regarding junk volume is a good one. And so I was trying to describe this to a client today in a check-in, um, and, um, cause she mentioned something like, you know, I got to the split squats at the end of this workout and they were just a shit show. Like, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> it's programmatically like, that's a tough place to put a split squat. Like at the end of a hard quad workout, like you're going to be a little unstable. Um, but it's a challenge, right? And if you can do it and you can pull your shit together enough to, to get some successful reps out of there and a couple good sets, that's, that's a big victory. So the way I described it to her was, you know, now she, she experienced that once, like she went into that, just had a major fail on the split squat. So now it's, it's kind of in her brain is like, okay, this is a spot where we need to knuckle down and try and, you know, bring it next time because it was a fail this last time. So I said, what I want you to do is focus on really like, as you're going into that, give yourself a really big pep talk and get, get in your own head and say like, okay, we're here. We're here to fucking do this. Now put on your big go big boy or big girl pants and let's get this shit done. It's gonna suck. It's gonna hurt. It really sucked last week. It's gonna be better than that this week because you're a fucking badass and you can do this. And then go and do the set. And if you get yourself in that that space where you're not just saying those things, but you believe those things, like you're not just saying, like, I'm a badass, I'm a badass. But you can get there and just like stare in the mirror and be like, I'm a fucking badass right now. And you can go in and you do a few reps and you just crash and burn like a mofo. <laughs> like that's junk volume at that point. Like if you psych yourself up as much as you can and you still fail, like, yeah, you, you hit a wall. You're done. That's junk volume and we don't want anything to do with it. Now, I think more often than not, and that, that just means that you've hit your physical limit. Like you're done. <laughs> You stick a fork in you, you're done. Now, if you give yourself that pep talk, I think more likely than not, more often than not, um, if you really believe what you're saying, you'll find that you can get a, some successful sets that way. Like you can kind of push, because what happens is your brain always shuts down before your body does, right? Your brain will tell you that you can't do something before your body is physically just incapable of doing it. So what I want everyone to do is to focus on getting their brain to shut the fuck up and go away and see what their body is really capable of doing. That's what that pep talk is designed to do. And I think more often than not, you'll find some level of success with that. Now, if you're looking for three sets of, of 10 steps each or something like that, you might not get that. Um, like your body still might hit a wall. And no matter how much you tell yourself you're a badass, your body might be like, yeah, but mm, maybe not so much. And that's fair. That's fair. But give it a go. Make an honest attempt at it. And like allow yourself that reset, that centering, like come to Jesus moment, like we're going to do this. And like sing to yourself, like, you know, unstoppable from Sia or whatever, whatever it takes, like whatever your anthem is, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, like just get that in your head and convince yourself that you can do it and then see what your body is capable of. But it's getting that voice in your, that voice in your brain that says you're tired. You can't do this. Just pack it in, go home, like kick that guy to the curb completely. They, they have no space, no, no right to take up any space in your brain at all. Um, that's how you can find out if something is really junk volume, I think, probably probably the best way to figure it out. So it's still, it's an inexact science. And the point being, like, if it's junk volume, all you're doing is going through the motions for no real stimulus at all just to generate more fatigue, which is not what we're looking for. So um, if you do get to that point where it's junk volume, pack it in. You're done. Don't be a completist. Don't feel like you've got to finish the workout just because it's still written there on paper. Like, no, you're done. You're done. Pack it in. You did good work. Draw a line in your workout logbook saying this is how far I got. And then if you can get a set or two beyond that next time, 
great. Also reevaluate, like maybe that's just too much volume. I don't know. Um, that that's a possibility as well. Like maybe more volume than your body's really able to, to tolerate, or maybe you're just not recovered enough. Maybe you need an extra rest day in there and that might make all the difference in the world too. So great question though. So, um, I will take more questions, anything that anybody has, uh, shoot it my way. Again, the number on screen uh, down, you know, here-ish, something like that, I don't know. Um, now I'm gonna have to edit this thing. I gotta put a phone number on screen. So that's gonna delay this by a couple of days probably. So, <laughs> cause that's how I work here, slowly. Y'all have been great. Thank you. Um, to those who have made it this far in either the audio or the video version, you're a fucking hero. Go buy yourself a milkshake or something. Unless you're a client of mine, in which case, Follow your plan, please. Um, I got nothing else. I'm done. So um, calling questions, always welcome. Um, anybody who wants to put themselves up on the offering for some video feedback that we can do for the group here, that'd be great as well. Um, comments. Um, what did you like about this? What did you dislike about this? Hold on. This is what I disliked about it. There, that's gone now. Um what worked, what didn't help me figure this out. You know, um, I mean, I'm going to look at the analytics for this and I'll see like, you know, as, as soon as I started talking about this, that's when everybody bailed. Um, but you know, a long video like this, like the percentage of people that watch it all the way through is very low. So I know that. So, um, anyway, I'd be very curious to hear anybody's feedback, um, for the audio listeners out there. If, uh, some of the video stuff was a little too exclusive, uh, let me know. I'd love some thoughts on that as well. These might end up being different things. Like maybe I just do a video on YouTube and keep the podcast stuff audio only. I don't know. Like I said, I'm experimenting here. So thank you for humoring me, and I'll see you back here uh, for episode 237 sometime in the near future.